Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled, How to Hug a Vampire. Please enjoy. Sometimes when other people hear, hear sermons, they think of you. They think, I wish they were here to hear. And so without humility in your heart, we can never actually approach. So I can give you all the tools in the world, but without humility of heart, without right, a right biblical perspective, it's going to be almost impossible to do anything else I teach you. Last week we talked about judging favorably. Again, you've got social vampires. You've got people that you just kind of bump into and they're rude. They're offensive. They're abrasive. They're mean. And sometimes people do you wrong. And you've got to figure out how do I judge them accurately because it's easy to take Jesus' words and kind of not know what to do with them because in one moment he's saying don't judge, but then he says to judge like this. And you're trying to wrap that all together. Please make sure you join us and get caught up. Today we will look at the idea of boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. Do you know there's a rule of vampires? I'm not sure if you're familiar with this rule, but there is a rule of vampires. And the rule of vampires is this, is that they cannot come into your house unless what? Unless they're invited in. Boundaries. Boundaries. Let's pray this morning as we begin. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would teach us, that your words would instruct us, that God, our brain would be illuminated this morning and our heart would be challenged. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, bring things to our mind God, bring those people up to our mind. Bring our own issues up in our mind, Lord God. And we pray that you deal with them as only you do, God. That you would encourage us and convict us in the same moment, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, I have some good news for you this morning. Uh, me and my wife finally uh, closed here this past week or two on buying a home here in Livermore. So I've been living in Livermore. We just, we just actually finalized buying this house and... Uh, you know, there's something really, really important about... Now, we went a good full nine months of shopping for houses. Now, how many of you have ever done that? Well, you went house shopping. It could have been for a rental. How many know there's one huge important thing when you go shopping for houses? Obviously, like the neighborhood matters, doesn't it? You know, some of you are thinking about where the schools are or whatever else. And you're thinking about your neighborhood. What, what I learned to do was, because it just became obvious in certain situations, was, was get up in your backyard and look over the fence. Did, did anybody do this? I feel a little weird now. So you look over the fence, not in a creepy way. I'm not peeping Todd. I'm saying you just look over to see what kind of a neighbor they are. Because what I determined was, is wherever I lived, I didn't want crazy neighbors. And I looked and, and, and I even found some people online who, who agreed with me on this idea. And they actually posted some pictures of their crazy neighbors. So if you, if you have a neighbor or have ever had a neighbor like this, please give, give a good amen shout out. Here's, here's a certain type of neighbor you want to avoid. Deacon Dave as your neighbor. Mr. Christmas Light as your neighbor. Because then you can't sleep at night if he leaves them on late because you're glowing. Your bedroom's glowing. So anyway, let's, let's go to the next one. This is another one to avoid. Yes, pit bull dog neighbor. He's got the sign. I can make it to this fence in 2.8 seconds. Can you? We have little kids. I don't know that that's the house that you want to be near. Uh, next one, please. Yes, the dirty pool neighbor. Yeah, it's definitely kind of winter time out. And the pool is green inside. You don't want dirty pool neighbor. That's got to be like mosquito heaven right there. I don't know. Anyway, next one, next one. This is uh, my crazy beer drinking neighbor who got bored and turned the kegs into some type of motorcycle. Number 33. Uh, next one, please. Avoid. Weird gargoyle people. 
weird gargoyle people. These are always people you want to avoid when thinking about owning a home next to somebody. Next, next one, please. Yes, the hoarder of the backyard. You've got hoarder issues. Has anybody ever seen this? I saw a couple of houses when I was house shopping. Does, does anybody have neighbors, anything like this? Anybody ever seen this? I mean, like crazy, yeah, junkyard, backyard. Anyway, all right, let's keep going. Weird cat people. There's a sign, if you can't read it, that says, Cat crossing, slow down to 20 miles per hour. Always keep your eye out for cat people. They're not always even keel. Next, next, please. This, oh, my favorite redneck neighbor who has a gun rack on his bicycle. Redneck neighbor. This either could be your best friend if, you know, if Armageddon happens, he could be a great neighbor. Most of the time, probably not. Is there any more? I think that was, I think, I think you, you can close strong with redneck neighbor there. Um, so anyway, you know you want to make sure that you have good neighbors, right? So in buying this home, talking to the owner and saying, man, tell me about your neighbors. And so he's got the lowdown. He's lived there for years. He's got the lowdown, all the neighbors. Like, okay, this guy, he's like this. And this guy over here, they're really cool, really quiet, but the, the dogs. And then the back neighbor, and then this, and then the guy over there, don't make him mad. He is the call the police neighbor. Um, and so I'm getting the rundown on all the neighbors now. Now again, when I, the re, the, there's a point to this. There's a reason why we have fences, isn't there? There needs to be a fence because when you buy a property, you don't want to kind of guess where your property starts and ends because then you can have one of those weird things where the guy has the tree that hangs over your property line. You're just going to get mad. You, you got to know where the fence is supposed to be. You got to know where the boundaries are. These are essential and important elements to not only having neighbors, this is an essential element to having life. God wants you to have some boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. This is what boundaries is. Everybody repeat this after me. Everybody say, this is mine. And that is yours. Everybody say, this is mine. And that is yours. That's the, in essence, working definition today of boundaries. Meaning, this is my, this is my world. This is my responsibility. This is what I'm supposed to take care of. But this is yours. You, you should take care of this. This is actually your responsibility. And as we'll see as we walk through this idea today, that again, boundaries is a biblical concept. And here's why we need them, is because life is full of vampires. Life is full of people who are broken or flawed or, or are projecting their issues on you. There's two different types of people I want to hone in on that I want you to be able to think about. Because these are not social vampires. These are chronic vampires. I'm not talking about the people that you might bump into. I'm talking about the people that you know you'll bump into. Those kind of vampires. These could be neighbors. These could be coworkers. These could be your children. These could be your parents. This could be your weird brother-in-law. This could be a number of different people, but these aren't people that you might randomly bump into, but rather because of some type of proximity, some type of relationship. You probably love chronic vampires, not because you want to, but because you have to. Chronic vampires, the first type of chronic vampire that I'm referring to that, that really sucks the life out of you is the out-of-control person. Usually has something to do with some type of an addiction. 
They could have a substance addiction, a gambling addiction, an alcohol addiction, a, a, a pornography addiction. I'm talking about people who, or people who are just wild, people who are just rampant, don't care, don't have personal boundaries themselves, don't have maybe high moral values and just kind of free for all for life. And they're just kind of out, out of bounds, out of control. These people, they can suck the life out of you. But there's also some other sneakier vampires. I would say these are not out of control. These are the over-controlling type vampires. These are the people in your life who, they want to have a say. They want to control. They want to have input. And they'll typically do it by one of two ways. The first way is that they'll do it by anger. You're going to do what I say or I'm just going to get mad. You're going to do it my way or I'm going to yell. You're going to do what I want or I might even get physically violent. And I'm going to control this situation out of anger. But then there's, then there's the guilt trippers, the passive aggressive, the manipulators, the game players. And they don't, they don't control by force or by anger. They control rather by guilt and by their words. And how many ever heard phrases like this? Well, you know, if I had it, I would give it to you. Well, maybe after I'm dead and gone, then you'll be sorry. You have no idea how much I sacrifice for you. How can you abandon the family like this? This is my favorite one. Do you know how long I was in labor with you? And there are these words that we use to create leverage. They're not words to bless and encourage or empower, but it's to kind of manipulate and control. This, is, this can be done religiously too. Don't get it twisted. People who say they follow Jesus still have some vampire in them, and they will bust out some phrases like this. How can you call yourself a Christian? I thought Christians were supposed to. You fill in the blanks. All of a sudden, somebody's hemming you up for a loan. Like, I thought Christians were supposed to be generous. Yeah, not to the gambling addict. Go get some help. I didn't, I just said that. I'm sorry. That's not my notes. Or the, or the, well, doesn't the Bible say? And then they try to use scripture to leverage you into getting you, getting you to do what they want you to do. Is anybody rolling with me this morning? Anybody ever seen this before? Anybody ever heard phrases like this or heard a story? Other people, clearly. You probably don't have anybody like this in your family. So we're here just to help others in the world. But these are the two type of chronic vampires that you will discover in your life. And what I'm telling you today is, is that many of you right now are living without boundaries. That there's no defining the property line. That this is mine and that is yours. That this is what you're responsible for. Because many times you'll get duped into these types of people trying to put what they ought to be responsible for and putting it on you. Let me give you some scripture ideas. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23, the Bible says this, above all else. Now, real quickly, I just, this is just a Bible lesson here, real quick nugget. Anytime the words above all else, now how many know scripture is kind of scripture? That thing's already holy. So if inside the holy book there's a thing that says above all else, I mean, you really ought to hone in on that one. It's like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I mean, you better just lock that in, radar, get your highlighter ready. Above all else, do what? Guard your heart. You know what that means? Is that there needs to be some boundaries. There needs to be some protection. If you were guarding something, 
Depending on the level of redneck in you, you might have a shotgun ready to go. You might have a dog that can get to the fence in 2.8 seconds. You, would have, so you might have a security system in, installed. You've got something to protect it because it's vitally important. Because if this goes down, the whole ship's going down. And he's saying, above all else, guard your heart for everything. Everybody say, error thing. Come on, a little error thing. Everything you do flows from it. Everybody say boundaries. I got another one. Check this out. This is Psalms chapter 1. I like, I like the New King James Version. But blessed is a man who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the company of mockers. This is one of those scriptures that lets you know. And again, this word blessed here, this is the Hebrew word for happy. You'll be a happier person if you have boundaries in your life. You'll be a happier person if you decide, you know what? There's some places I don't belong. There's some people I shouldn't be connected to. There's some, some folks I shouldn't be journeying together in life with because their dysfunction is going to rub off on me. I'll be a happier, more content person. And, and now, it doesn't say don't love these people. This is what you've got to understand. We're not talking about love. This is, this is a, a, a thought you need to, to kind of put in your heart that ultimately you can love people in some long-distance relationships sometimes. And that's what's needed. That you can love people without having them invade your world. You can love people without them becoming a burden in your life. You need to have boundaries. Next scripture, we'll move forward after this. This is crazy. This is Paul talking to a young pastor named Titus. And he says, look, warn a, defi a divisive person once. And then warn them a second time. After that, don't got nothing to do with them. That's in the Bible? Yeah. Boundaries. Jesus lived with boundaries. I could walk you through his life and show you how he had boundaries. Do you know that Jesus always had adequate rest? Always got a good meal. He had a good old uh, kosher Mediterranean diet. Was eating pretty good. He always got good rest. And he always took, listen to this, he always took personal time. There were moments, the disciples, early on it took them a while to figure this out. Jesus would have a day where he healed people. And then they'd wake up the next morning and the crowds would be back and they couldn't find Jesus. You know where he had, he had, he had gotten up early to go pray and be alone with his heavenly father. And then when he get, they finally find him, after him having some alone time, they come back and they say, hey, Jesus, everybody showed up so they could, you know, get some more of you. And he goes, I'm sorry. I've got to go. And he literally is not need-driven, but is rather purpose-driven in life. And if we all examined our own heart, what we'd probably find is that many times when it comes to the, to the chronic vampires in our lives, we get very need-driven when it comes to them. They need our help. We think they need our help. We're always worried about their needs, worried about what they're going to do. And we end up missing God's purpose for our life because we end up getting so bombarded with their perceived needs. So Jesus kind of models this idea. He has times where he absolutely rebukes people. It's called speaking the truth in love. There are times in his life when he says, that is wrong, you shouldn't do that anymore, and until you fix that, you can't roll with me. There's this young guy called, what's referred to in the Bible, no one knows his name, he's referred to as a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, I'm, I want eternal life, I'm with you. Jesus corrects him about an issue in his life, and he says, I need you to fix this. And he says, well, I can't do that. And he has to walk away sad because he's not willing to work on his junk and because he's not worrying, willing to work on his junk, Jesus said, okay, when you're ready, because here's what you'll learn, is that you cannot help people that need help. 
This is huge. Somebody needs to write this down. You cannot help people that need help. You can only help people that want help. If you've ever lived with an addict, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't help people that need help. We all need a little bit of help. You can only help people that want help. Everybody say, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. You cannot help people who need help. You can only help people who want help. There's this idea. Everybody say boundaries. Again, the definition as we will see it is that this is mine and that is yours. That there's certain things that I'm responsible for, but at some point in time, you need to be responsible as well. Let me give you some examples. Some of you ladies out there need to be able to put your foot down and say, no, this is my body. You can't touch that that way. These are some boundaries. As a woman, that's your body. You can't touch that that way. I'm not talking about married women. I'm talking about single women. When you get into marriage, it changes a little bit, but there's still a responsibility and a respect dynamic to that. that this, this is my body. That's not yours. You can't touch it that way. Some of you need to look at other people in your life. Again, the chronic vampires that not only suck the life, what they're sucking is the time out of you. And you say, now this is my time. You can't demand that. This is my self-worth. You can't demean that. Many of us, we grow, we, we live around people who are verbally abusive. At some point, you have to learn to say, no, this is my self-worth. You can't demean that. And then we need to put some boundaries in place to take care of that for the future. This is my money. Some of y'all have kids that's still hemming you up all the time. This is my money. You can't steal that. Boundaries. Sometimes it works the opposite way, though. Sometimes you're looking at other people and you're saying, look, because they're projecting their junk on you. And you say, no, 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 no. That's your anger issue. You don't get to talk to me like that. No, no, that's, that's, that's your addiction until you're willing to deal with that. I can't help you. Sometimes you need to look at, you, you know, just again, all the different things that people have the ability to project on you and say, no, no, this is your responsibility. I can only help you when you want help. But I'm not going to live a life where you're constantly projecting your junk on me. It's quiet up here today. Here's a great thought that you need to write down. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional access. I'm telling you, you can still, I'm not saying don't love them. I'm saying you don't become a doormat to their issues. I'm not saying that you, you don't love them. I'm saying you still guard your heart. I'm saying, I'm saying that you sometimes need to call and get a restraining order. That's okay to Jesus. That doesn't mean that you don't love them. There is a difference. Because here's, here's the dynamic that plays in our heart. Some of you, and I would call you an enabler, and I love you, even though I just judge you, um, favorably, um, I love you, but you enable the people in your life to keep living that way and to keep doing those things and to keep projecting those issues on you. And the reason why you keep enabling them is, 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 is it could be a few different reasons. One of them could be self-guilt. You just feel bad. Well, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll think I'm mad at them. Maybe they'll feel like I don't love them. Maybe this, maybe that. Or they're just, they're just firing back and guilting you and making you feel bad. Again, guilt trips are a form of manipulation. And so sometimes we think we're being selfish if I don't help them. That has nothing to do with it. Sometimes you're going to have to overcome some of your own deep-rooted issues to set some clear boundaries. Here's three boundaries that we're going to set when it comes to chronic vampires. 
Now, I can't dig into every specific issue. You call me up. We'll do a one-on-one. We'll figure that out. But, but you know, by and large, some of the people who we would call habitual chronic vampires in your life. People who have major issues that you know you run into on a regular basis. There's three boundaries that you need to set into place. Number one is this. Everybody say physical boundaries. That was very unenthusiastic. Everybody say physical boundaries. Physical boundaries. Let me give you a couple of scripture ideas here. So there's one scripture in Proverbs and it says this. It says, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Do you know what that means? Is that proximity creates some type of tangible result in your life. That proximity to people, if they're wise, will actually make you a smarter, wiser person. I don't even know how that works. It's some type of form of spiritual osmosis. I absolutely believe it's true because when I get around wise people, I just start seeing things, picking up on things, hearing things, and I start making natural adjustments in my life without even really putting a lot of thought into it. Because when you walk with wise people, that rubs off on you because of proximity. But it also says that the companion of fools will be destroyed. Now, what's interesting is, is in the first half of the proverb, it says that if you walk with smart people, you'll get smarter. It does not say that if you walk with dumb people, you'll get dumber, though, does it? Meaning they can't affect your intelligence level, but what they can do, the Bible says, is that if you walk with fools, your life will be destroyed. See, there is some proximity issues that some of us have, and I've had this conversation with so many people. Well, he keeps talking to me that way. Well, he hit me, or he did this. You know what you need to do? Physical distance. At some point, you're going to have to look somebody in their eyeball and say, look, I don't like the way that you're talking to me. And if you continue to talk to me that way, I'm going to leave the room. It might need to be, hey, look, I'm tired of you treating me this way, and I'm not going to allow that anymore. And if you continue to treat me this way, I'm going to leave the house. At some point, there may need to be some physical proximity. Paul has this same notion. He goes, do not be unequally yoked. With unbelieving people. Here's why. It's because when you live a life, and again, this has nothing to do with loving people. You'll find the Apostle Paul was one of the most loving, caring, compassionate, outreaching person you have ever met in your life. But he also drew a line and drew a boundary at some point that said, okay, there's a difference between me loving you, showing you kindness, reaching out to you, and then me yoking my life up with you to journey together. That's what yoking means. Yoking means that we do life together. We journey together. He said, when it comes to certain people in your life, you need some physical distance. Some of you need some long-distance relationships with some of your friends, even some of your family members, as difficult as that'll be. There's got to be some physical distance. And until you create some physical distance, you're not going to be able to help them. There's a lot of things that the Bible actually has to say about that. But again... Let's move on. Number two is this. Everybody say emotional distance. This one's a little bit trickier. Emotional distance. I had a, a, a guy that I had a conversation with about this very thing. and Moms, and I think that there's a generational thing about guilting. I find it less and less in, in younger people, a little bit more and more in older generations. I think it was a generational thing that was passed down. But we're high on guilt. Heavy on guilt. Try to make people feel bad for what they're doing. And if I can make them feel bad enough, I can get them to do what I think they ought to do. And so there are these ways that you can be passive aggressive and ways that you can use your words to manipulate and project your issues on other people. And, and, he, and he came to me and said, hey, look, I got this family member who's doing this and doing this and doing this. And I hate how they always keep playing these games. And this is what I told him. Stop playing the game. 
if you don't engage in the game, there's no game. You know, my son has board games and video games, all kinds of things. And like, you know, sometimes we get along when we play games. Sometimes we get too competitive. And sometimes I'm just like, no, we don't need to engage in that game. And if I don't engage in the game, it's not a game anymore. It's just him. Or it's just me. Because and, and, I just know this ain't going to go good. So sometimes we get wrapped up and suckered into the game of manipulation. And then we start arguing with them and fighting with them. And then it's like we all have our weapons. It's like you're one nation and I'm my nation. And I've got my own army and my own tactics and my own weaponry. And then we end up in a war with each other. Why are you even playing the game? And it's because we emotionally engage with other people. Let me give you some, some, some thoughts on this. If you want to get out of the game, one of the best things that you can learn is, is, is what Jesus said in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your yes be yes and just let your no be no. Huh. That's some profound wisdom. I never thought about that before. That's brilliant. Psychologists have like volumes of books to like, Jesus summarizes these things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of us need to look at when people just start demanding of us or people start trying to rope us into the emotional game. And we just need to say no. I don't want to have this conversation. No. I don't want to go on that trip with you. No. We're not going to do that right now. Some people will, 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 will guilt you into their time. And you know what you need to say? Th th this is a great phrase. No. That doesn't work for me. No. That doesn't work for me. I've got this, this, and this. And if you'd like to join me, that's great. If not, I'm sorry, we'll have to reschedule. No, that doesn't work for me. And sometimes we need to let our yes be our yes. And just say, yes, I'm going to do this, but no more. Yes, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not going to keep letting you drag me along into more and more and more and more. And I'm going to... Okay. Do I need to bite this off? So there's some parents out there. And I love you to death. But there's some problems in this emotional game that you have played with your kids because sometimes what we do is, is that we become the enablers in the situation because we never learned to say no when they was little. So you got a two-year-old, and they keep demanding and stomping their feet and pitching a fit, and you keep giving them what they want, and then it's like they get older. And then the, 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 the stomping of the feet just changes. It gets like huffy and psh. Or, or, you know, slamming doors. It just, it just keeps escalating. And now we've got full-grown adult children who have never been told no. Oh, and, and so they've got all these issues in their life, and you keep enabling their dysfunction. You keep enabling their issues. At some point, you've got to say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And guess what? Adult whining is still there. Adult pitching a fit is still there. And you're going to have to weather the storm. I'm just going to prepare you now. Just, just hunker in. It's going to get bad. But I'm telling you this. Please, somebody needs to write this down. Responsibility and consequences make strong people. Responsibility and consequences make strong people. Enabling people makes weak people. You have to ultimately ask yourself as a parent, I am probably doing them an injustice by continuing to enabling, to continue to enable that type of behavior. At some point, my yes needs to be yes, 
and my no needs to be no. I need to stop playing these emotional games and just let it be what it is and draw some boundaries. Now, here, here's the problem again. Some of us are so sweet and so kind that they take advantage of that sweetness and that kindness. And again, that's why you become an enabler. And, and here's part of the reason why. Somebody's not going to like this. I, I, sometimes I hate doing sermons like this. <sighs> Okay, some of the reasons why you're not able to say yes and stick by or say no and stick by is because you're emotionally needy. Emotionally needy people can never engage in what I'm talking about. Because as long as you're emotionally needy, you can't create emotional distance. Because you're a part of the game sometimes too and not wanting to see them mad at you or not wanting to see them get their feelings hurt or not wanting to see them hit some walls and hit some consequences because of your own emotional neediness of not wanting them to reject you, not wanting them to be mad at you. You're unable to let your yes be yes and your no be no. At some point, you have to be full in your relationship with God if you're going to pull this off. You're going to need a support group probably to pull it off with some of these heavier, deeper super vampires. You know, the ones that can walk in the day and in the night. Here, here's, here's what I learned. Have you ever been to a party and were like really, really hungry? You knew that, that you were going to show up to that party and they had food. And then all the food they had was terrible. Or, or, or have you ever gone to a party and they were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to serve dinner at 7. And they didn't serve it till like 8.30. You ever, doesn't that drive you crazy? And so, so, so here's, here's what I learned. I learned this thing because I'm, anybody out there a picky eater? You just straight up picky eater. I'm a picky eater, man. I don't like vegetables and onions. And some people want to put onions in everything and, you know, the cross. Uh, and, 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 and so like, you know, I just recognize that I'm a finicky pickle, picky eater. So rather than me show up to a party and be a whiner and complainer, which I'm not going to do, I'm just going to go ahead and snack before I go to the party. Because I know if I eat just a little bit, I'll be fine if food is running late. Or if I eat just a little bit, I'll be okay if I don't like everything on the menu. See, when I go and I'm already full, I don't need you to feed me everything I need in life. And some of us need to create that in our emotional selves. I'm already full in my relationship with God. I'm already full because I've spent time in prayer and scripture and reading. And I've dealt with some of my own junk. and some. Of my, I'm already full. I don't need you to feed me all the time. So when I show up to your party, I can just be happy. I can be patient. I can be giving. I can let my yes be yes and my no be no. Because I don't need... You to feed me. I'm not an emotionally needy person. Therefore, I can, if I need to, create emotional distance. So physical distance. Some of us, some of us just have some friends, and we complain about them all the time. Why do you keep complaining about them? Just create some physical distance. Some of us have emotionally, you know, issues, and we just need to create some emotional distance. Thirdly is this. This is the, the third key, and we're going to kind of wrap this up here in just a second, is realistic expectations. Physical distance, emotional distance, realistic expectations. Some of us are so hurt over the chronic vampires in our life, and we get hurt every single week, and we get hurt every Christmas, and we get hurt every vacation, and we get hurt every other month. Why? Do you know what frustration is? Frustration, let me define it for you. Frustration is the gap between what I expect and what I experience. Okay? And what you need to do is shrink the gap. 
Because some of us, we have people in our life, and, and, and they keep doing us wrong. They keep abusing. They keep stealing. They keep doing these things over and over and over again. And again, we need at some point to say, no, with some physical distance. No, some emotional distance. No, we're not going to go there anymore. And we need to create then realistic expectations moving forward. How many of you have ever heard this? There's a little, like, I don't even know where it comes from. It's the parable of the scorpion and the frog. It's a basic idea about the scorpion and the frog are together. And the frog's about, of course, he can swim. He's about to cross over the, the lake and the river. And the scorpion says, hey, buddy, I really need a ride to get over there. Can you give me a ride across the river? And he goes, no, you stupid. I'm a frog and you're a scorpion. You ride on my back. And he goes, no, 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 no. I promise. I've changed. No, no, no. I'm a different person. No, 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 no. I, look, if I'd stung you, we'd both drown and die. So I have no real purpose in trying to sting you. And the frog kind of gets duped into this idea. And he's like, yeah, you know, okay, well, maybe, maybe that is. Maybe they have changed. You know, maybe he's a different scorpion. And he goes, okay, hop on my back. I'm going to take you over. And sure enough, the scorpion stings him. And the frog looks up and says, like, why did you sting me? He goes, because I'm a scorpion. That's just what I do. Just do what I do. And the point of the parable is to kind of remind us that people who are chronic vampires, if they're not ready to take responsibility, if they're not ready to own it, if they're not ready to deal with those situations, we should not change our expectations about what is really going on in their life. And we need to do that without judging them harshly, without condemning, without throwing them under the bus, without saying there is no hope at all. Here's the key right here. You need to learn to lower expectations without lowering hope. This is huge. You need to write that down. You need to learn to lower expectations without lowering hope. And if you've got some loved ones in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this unique balance between saying, I need to lower my expectations so that I'm not hurt all the time, disappointed all the time. But at the same time, I need to hold on to hope. I need to keep praying for them, keep believing the best for them. It's difficult, I know, but we've got to balance the two thoughts. I need high hope but realistic expectations so that I'm not constantly frustrated and hurt and upset. Can I get a good gospel amen up in this place? Some people have chronic lateness. It's late. And you have a thing about timeliness. Okay, I don't know that you guys are a match made in heaven. Or you need to have realistic expectations about who they are and embrace them for who they are and say, you know what, I'm willing to hold out hope and keep believing, but you know, that's just the nature of the relationship. And I'm willing to deal with that. It's one thing to be late, though. It's another thing to be abusive. At some point, you have to create the right boundaries, and you need to begin to pray and say, God, what are the proper boundaries that I need to make today? What are the yeses that need to stay yes? What are the noes that need to stay no? What are the physical limitations that I need to have on this relationship? How much time should I spend with this friend who is always like this? Not only what, how much time, but in what environments should I actually choose to spend time with this friend? Because you keep hanging out in their environments, it's worse than hanging out in a neutral, or even in your own environment. There's different ways of doing this, and I pray that God would give you discernment, that God would give you wisdom. God, what is the physical distance that I need? What is the emotional distance that I need? What are the right expectations that I need without lowering hope? If you have your Bible, we're going to look at one more scripture here. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to close now. Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse number 2. The Bible says something real interesting here. It says, carry each other's burdens. Now that, at first glance, would seem to contradict everything I just told you for the last 30 minutes. 
carry each other's burdens. And by doing this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Verse number three. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. This goes back to part one, meaning like you can't help anybody until there's humility in the own seat of your heart. Verse number four. But each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Verse five, last verse. For each one should carry their own load. So wait a minute, Paul. You're kind of trickery here. This is kind of tricky scriptures. First you say I'm supposed to carry everyone else's burdens, but now you're saying everyone should carry their own load. The uniqueness is in the language of it all. When you begin to study the language and the words that he chose to describe this, what you'll find is this. When he says carry each other's burdens, what it's referring to is the insurmountable heavy things in people's lives that they cannot move on their own. But when he gets into I want you to all carry your own load, it's referring to the the personal responsibility of life. It would be the equivalent of this is saying, you know what, when somebody has a boulder, you need to help them carry their boulder. But when they got a backpack, and you better man up, pick up your own backpack. I'm not, your, I'm not your slave. I'm not, no, we don't roll like that. You pick up your own responsibility. Your, that's, that's your issue. That's your responsibility. Those are your things. That's, again, what are boundaries? This is mine, and that is yours. So here's what I want to teach you in life is this, is that when you see people who are in insurmountable situations, help them. When you see people that have um, these financial disasters take place, if you can, help them. People that have this out of nowhere illness or sickness that they're battling and you can help them in any way that someone is carrying something that they cannot carry on their own, help them. But when it comes to stuff that is personal responsibility, you got to at some point draw a line and say, look, you need to pick that up. If you've got kids, I hope you know what I'm talking about. At some point, you say, no, no, you need to pick up that plate and go put it in the, the sink yourself. You need to pick up them toys and put them away on your own. No, 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 you need to take care of that ticket on your own. You need to, at some point, pay your own way. You're grown now. I, I shouldn't, look, if you, are, if, if you are a parent and you're still doing your 25-year-old's laundry, stop it. That's your knapsack. Pick it up. Because what? Responsibility and consequences make strong people. That's what we want in life, isn't it? That's what we want for our friends. That's what we want for our family. That's what we want for our children especially. At some point, we need to discern, God, when is it an opportunity for me to jump in and help somebody who cannot help themselves? That's good. But to help somebody who is completely irresponsible and refusing to help themselves, that's where we again draw the line. I'll close with this last thought. Goes like this if you're taking notes. I will help those who cannot help themselves. I will not help those who will not help themselves. I will carry people's burdens, but I will not carry their load. If you will adopt that type of a mentality, I'm telling you that you will be a happier, more free, vampire-free person. And at the same time, even though it will be difficult, and maybe in the early time, especially difficult, you will actually create in them a happier person, a stronger person. But if you delay the inevitable, you're only delaying and, and, and really magnifying the consequences that will eventually hit their life. When we have vampires, chronic vampires in their life, we cannot enable them. We have to create healthy boundaries. Let's pray this morning.
I feel like I just dropped a bomb on some of you. I feel like some of you are reeling right now. Some of you are challenged right now. Some of you are looking at close relationships right now. And that's good. Don't go out of this place um, feeling bad. If you're an enabler out there, don't walk out of this place feeling condemned. Nope. Paul said this. He goes, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind me. And I press forward to what's in front of me. And I press towards the calling of Christ on my life. You know what we do? We walk out of church every Sunday morning. We take what God has spoken in our heart, what the Holy Spirit has spoken, what the scriptures have taught. And we walk out of this place saying, you know what? I can't change the past. But you know what? I can change today and make a different future. And so that's what we do. If we have some, some chronic, habitual vampires in our life, we need to go out of them, out of here, and absolutely love them. And absolutely hold out hope and absolutely keep on believing. But some of us need to create some real boundaries. Some of them need to be physical boundaries. Some of them just need to be a little bit of an emotional distance. Some of them need to be just some more realistic expectations. But God wants you to be healthy and happy and whole. And as we go forward into next week, next week we will discover what do you do once you've been bitten? Because I'm telling you, some of us have been bitten. And we're carrying around something really, really poisonous inside of us because we've been bitten. We don't want to go there. And the key to not getting back there again is to create some of these healthy, loving boundaries. We need to love people, believe in people, hold out hope for people, but yet do it in a wise way. So God, I pray for discernment today for all of your people. I pray for wisdom today, God. I pray for the right strategy, the right timing, the right decision to be made. God, I pray that you'd give them the right words to speak and to frame it in, God. So that some of them will have to have difficult conversations. But God, it is for their best. For all people included. So Father, we pray that Holy Spirit, you would always be our guide and our comforter. God, our, to guide us in the right words to say and then to comfort us when it might go bad, Lord God. We just pray that we would have your strength within us, Lord God to let our yes be yes and our no be no. God, to be so full of your presence, to be so full of your love, to be so full of, of your grace and goodness that we're not needy, needing everybody else to approve us. You have approved us, God. You have called us. You have loved us, God. Let us rely and depend on that. God, I pray that we would be a people of the light, Lord God, a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden, God. I pray that we would be the salt of the earth, Lord God, the thing that gives flavor to the world around us and the people around us, Lord God. Let us be that light and salt as we go out of this place today, Lord. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.com dot org.